Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hey, mate. Thanks for joining me on the show today. My pleasure. It's always mine. It, uh, it's a bit of fun when we get to talk markets and talk investing. Today, we're going to talk about something that um, p- people are probably a bit concerned about. Um, we've heard that inflation is high. We've heard that you know maybe something's happening with interest rates. We've got everyone jumping on the Web3 crypto blockchain bandwagon as a result of money printing. Uh, we've had volatility in the markets. We're coming out of COVID in some parts of the world where some of the, the, the SaaS names and some of those kind of work from home names have really come off the boil on the back end of 2021. But before we get to that, maybe we'll just give a special shout out to the Seven Investing uh, promo that's going on until the 7th of January. Can you just fill us in on that one, mate? Yeah, man. Yeah. So we, you know, our annual subscriptions are uh, three ninety nine uh, a year, um, mm-hmm. and so the seven investing annual subscriptions are three ninety nine. And you lock in that price if you signed it at three ninety nine. You can lock that in effectively forever uh, as long as you remain a member. Um, but what we are doing now is there's a special promo going on that, that seven investing is giving, which is a hundred dollars off if you sign before sign up before the seventh. It's only on the annual order, and you lock that price of. Two ninety nine uh, per year, it's effectively into perpetuity. So it's hundred dollars off um, for as long as one remains a member, mm. irrespective of what the, whether the price, you know, if the price goes up, uh, which is like three ninety nine, but if it went up to four ninety nine or five ninety nine, you'd still be paying two ninety nine. So I think it's a, it's a it's an, yeah, a good idea. It's a, it aligns nicely with the holiday season of giving, and yeah, if people are interested, uh, they're welcome to have a look at uh, mm. seveninvesting.com forward slash subscribe. Use the holiday code code holiday use caps uh, for mm-hmm. holiday and yeah. And uh, otherwise just listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So you can either listen to the podcast, you can uh, subscribe to seven investing, or you can do both, um, which is great too. So yeah, that's seven investing forward slash, uh, com forward slash subscribe. And then the holiday coupon code. If it doesn't work in lowercase, try it in uppercase. Um, <laughs> and that's on an annual subscription. So great stuff. If you have any questions on that, you can find us on Twitter at 7A Mahanti and at 7, at Owen Rask. Sorry, it's a bit early in the morning for too many Twitter handles. So mate, today we're talking about markets crashing and we're going to talk about how to deal with that as an investor. I think this is a really kind of prescient thing for people to be thinking about. We've seen some volatility in the back end of 2021, which spooked a lot of investors. I mean, you and I talked about the likes of Zoom. Uh, that's the Zoom ZM stock coming off something like 60%. Some of these big household names really getting hammered. Um, we've, we, we saw, for example, Square, which is a company we talked about recently. That's been sold off. A lot of these companies that maybe in the past we thought were kind of guaranteed growth companies. So when I say guaranteed, I don't mean like in the legal sense, I just mean people perceive them to be very, very high quality, very, very resilient businesses. And people were willing to pay a premium for that. And now all of a sudden, it seems like people aren't willing to pay a premium for those types of companies. I'm going to just throw two facts in here before I throw it over to you, which is, I read a really interesting study. And this was originally, um, I think, from Deutsche Bank analysis. And I haven't actually been able to find the, the full research on this. So keep that in mind. But There was effectively a study that showed in the US market, on average, the market corrects, that's a 10% fall before regaining ground of uh, a 10% fall. 
every 357 days. So when I first read that, I thought to myself, that's once a year. So once a year on average, I can expect if I'm an investor, you know, some really tough days, some really, you know, scary times for me as an investor. Then the other thing I read was um, in Tony Robbins' book, Unshakable, which is a fantastic book. It's kind of the, the simplified version of the money game. And in the book, he references this study, which says that of the corrections, only 20% of them actually go on to be bear markets or actual market crashes. So that 20% fall or more. So we've got once every 357 days, we've got a correction. Get used to that, basically. That's the, the price of admission. And of those, only one in five tend to turn into severe market pullbacks. And once I heard that, I got a bit of comfort in the way I invest. But maybe I just to set this, that's just to set the scene. I'm just looking um, to, to get your wisdom on this. Like, how do you think about market crashes? Do you think about you know, them as opportunities? Is it case by case? Like, what's some of the thoughts that come into your head when we think about the idea of a market crash? Yeah, so like, you know, like, I mean, we think of 10%, like 10% correction, if you're, a, if you're a veteran investor, then, you know, it shouldn't even like register, right? Like, yeah. you know, so it happens, it kind of happens, if you open your portfolio, it's going to look red, it's going to be looking like it's been significantly down from its all time highs or whatever. And, and you kind of have to accept that. But I think there's a, I think this is a Warren Buffett line, uh, I'm not 100% sure. But effectively, if you're a long term investor, and you are adding to positions over time, and especially if you're young, right? You know, yesterday somebody was DMing me who was like, you know, 26. I said, holy man, if I could be 26 and doing what, you, you know, asking these questions, I would be so happy to be 26 because you could just keep, you know, you think about someone who's 25 or 30, they've got like probably 30 years of compounding ahead of them. So these are all opportunities in that sense. If you can think ahead, uh, yes. It's harder, I think, as you get older and older, like if you're 60 now and you're seeing, you know, uh, your account balance is probably big and you saw 10% or 15% of that being chopped off, it kind of hurts. But then mm. hopefully your account balance is big enough that, you know, you can tolerate those um, uh, those chops. But, you know, I think for most investors who are adding over time, the sell-off is actually great because you get to add at a cheaper price. Dollar mm. cost average into positions and, you know. And then I think the other final thing, this is, this is actually mostly true now, I think in the last five years, and this might not be true actually for the ASX All Ordinaries, but it will be probably true for the S&P 500. The S&P 500 today is, you know, if you think of the index, five or six companies probably account for 60%, 40%, 50%. It's like their bank's equivalent is tech, right? Mm -hmm. And tech, the big tech hasn't sold off. Actually, big, big, the big tech, you know, uh, Tesla, Apple, Google. So Google, I think, is up 60% for the year, <laughs> something like that. Apple is up 30% for the year. I think uh, you know, Tesla is up like 29% for the year, something like that. And, and, and so I think the laggards were Facebook and Amazon. Uh, in, 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 and then I think Microsoft is also up a lot. So you basically have some stocks holding the index up. But if you hold a lot of mid-cap, small-cap in the U.S. land growth stocks, those some of them could be down 30 40%. An example could be Square and you know, things like that, and Zoom that you mentioned. So, I mean, stuff like this happens. I think contextualization is important. Uh, the, and I'll add another final point. This is not talked about a lot, but the S&P Index Committee changed some rules, which I think has impact on how the index is. So I, what I'm basically saying, the index might actually not be a good indicator of the broader market because 
I think in 2017, they decided that they're not going to include any company which has dual stock structure. So if you're class A and class B shares. Now, the point to remember is that if they had the same rules and Google and Facebook both would not be on the index, <laughs> right? Uh, but a lot of companies are never going to be in the index because of that reason, at least unless they change those rules. So, you know, you have to think of the index in, in that sense that the index might not be including, the S&P 500 especially, might not be including companies that potentially should be included and therefore, you know, it doesn't reflect really what's going on in the broader market. So, um, lots of things, but again, broadly, I would say that, you know, over time, if you're adding, then, you know, these gives you opportunities, lower price, the better it is. I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's a kind of the markets within markets, right? So if you're, if you have in Australia, the IVV ETF, which I think is the SPY ETF in the US, I believe, which is the S&P 500 ETF, you're going to get S&P 500 returns, right? And if you're an individual investor, it's important to understand what you own and why you own it. You know, if you if you own Zoom stock and it's down fifty percent for calendar year twenty twenty one, which by the way we measure things in calendar years, it doesn't make much sense to me. It doesn't really matter if it's a calendar year or if you're measuring it from January twenty third or December sixth. It doesn't really matter when you measure returns from. What we're looking for is long term compounding, and so calendar years kind of create an artificial point of reflection for you. But what I would say is that it's important to look at the businesses on a case by case basis. Um, some of the biggest and most successful companies in the world have also had the biggest drawdowns. Now that's not a hard rule. Like if you look at something like Twitter, that gets that gets heavy drawdowns, meaning a drawdown is when a company gets sold off before recovering. And so companies like Twitter get can suffer massive drawdowns and then not go on to be market beating companies. But then you can have companies like Amazon or Monster Beverage or Netflix that are some of the best performing, but they're also some of the scariest companies in the in the world to own. You'd look at you know, we talk about some companies being roller coasters. These are more like um, the, the the guys that jump off the cliffs and go straight down for a while. Um, these <laughs> these companies tend to be um, causing the most friction in the system too. So the debate is often the most um, kind of polarizing around those times as well. For example, you know, DocuSign fell very hard um, towards the back end of 2021. And this is a business that there were so many opinions of, well, Adobe is just going to come in and do that thing. Or, you know, this company is going to just do that. And, you know, why would you use that when you can just use Salesforce? You know, all these different, I don't know, theories about why the company has fallen. And they typically come out after the company has fallen, which only perpetuates your um, feeling of fear or, or kind of like your uncertainty. But what I would say is in those moments, it's really, really important to have a checklist or have something to fall back on. I'd say that you and I both, you know, are kind of heavily bent towards growth. And so as growth investors, we view things over a five-year period. So maybe our conversation is a little bit different. Like you said to someone that maybe say is 65 and has a, you know, a broad-based stock portfolio, in which case things like bonds and maybe some unhedged, uh, some non-correlated things like gold are maybe important to you. Um, so we're taking it from the lens of being growth investors. And so I think over the long term, if we can just identify that growth and be directionally right, we should be fine, in which case market crashes are a good thing. So mate, we, we don't want to let this draw out too long in this episode, we want to provide some kind of meat on the end of this one. But what are some of the things you might look for in a market crash? You know, if you're thinking about creating a checklist from scratch, and you're thinking, okay, the world's falling down ar around me, COVID's here, you know, imagine you're in that situation, what are some of the things that you would look for in companies? So one of the things I'll say is that there is a tendency for investors. Oh, okay, I'll rephrase that. 
tendency for some investors and again depends some on investors. the type of invest and it depends on the type of investor you are really so i think that whatever tendency you have works for you you need to know who you are right so uh, my point uh, my point was that there would be a group of investors who would head towards what i call defensive stocks yep Right. So when the market is really, really like, you know, volatile, things are being sold off. Some people are going to run towards, say, you know, uh, healthcare stocks because they tend to be more stable or mm. they'll, you know, run towards blue chip companies. What I tend to do is the opposite is I look for companies that have actually been sold off really lots because in a, in a, in a volatile environment, you know, we said Square is sold off 40 percent. Apple is probably you know, very close to its all-time highs, maybe now like, you know, it's probably down 5%, right? And I'm not saying relatively speaking, which one is gonna do better, but my tendency always is to look for those companies that I own or I wanted to own that have been sold off lots. Those are the ones I evaluate first, right? So I would evaluate Square over Apple. That'd be my preference. And, and, and the reason, and the thesis behind that would be a simple one is, Basically, you want to buy companies that have sold off, presumably because they are going to be at a better value, right? The best time to buy a defensive stock is when the defensive stock is sold off. And defensive stocks are typically sold off when everything is actually going well. That's when people rotate to. So when everybody's rotating mm. to growth, that's the time to own, go and look at some defensive stocks and to have, and it's good to have defensive stocks. Like I own like Apple and, and, and MasterCard and things like that. They're like a bit of a core and they provide a little bit of volatility cushion. Um, but, you know, the best time to own non-defensive stock, buy non-defensive stocks and when they are sold off. So that's something to I, I think of. So I look, as I said, I maintain a spreadsheet of companies mm. I own and I look at how, how much off they are from 52 week highs. And I also look at the market cap as a rough ballpark to just figure out, well, okay, you know, market cap is this, I think the industry has this kind of, you know, total addressable market. Um, you know, it gives you a sense of how much bigger they can get. Um, maybe you have some market caps of some other companies that are competitors of that space and gives you a sense, you know, again, you know, just try to, I try to eyeball things, then to try to be perfectionist, um, right? You know, I, I try to be roughly right, then perfectly wrong. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and that's kind of my model and it works for me, but I take it that, you know, somebody else might take a different view, but that's what I do. Like, you know, I look for the ones that are sold off. I think this is especially important if you're a growth investor in a market crash, because what tends to happen is if you're searching for perfection in that environment, you will never get it. Because let's take COVID as an example. So during COVID, I had a bunch of companies that I was looking at. One of those companies was Square. And this was maybe, let's say, two or 300% ago to be generous on, my, on myself and, and kind to myself. Um, and of course, I didn't buy it, by the way. So um, I looked at the company. I was like, oh, well, I need to look further into these trade receivables. Oh, I need to look at this non-balance sheet. What is this liability? Oh, I need to look at this. And I couldn't find the answer. So then I was like, well, I just wasted, you know, a week or two weeks looking at this company and I made a decision not to go ahead. I should have either been more prepared. So we would have had that watch list like you've got, or I should have just said to myself, I'm just going to buy a little bit. And I'm, I'm going to accept that there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Because like, for example, let's say even if your company reports quarterly, and so you've got a, the quarterly to the end of, I don't know, September, and the, the market crash happens in October. You then have the most recent set of financials, but you still have so many questions in your head. You don't know what's happening at the moment. You don't know if COVID's going to be a pandemic or if it's just a thing that's in China, or it's whatever. And so I would say, don't search for that guaranteed, okay, this is an absolute no brainer right now in that environment. Um, 
one of the ways you can help yourself behaviorally is having that checklist. So just some of the things that I would say to add to your checklist. If you're in that kind of, oh my God, the world's crashing around me, find companies with rock solid balance sheets. Oftentimes the, the, the kind of the assets are what save a business. Um, so in that worst case scenario, you've got cash. What else have you got on that balance sheet? You don't want a lot of long-term debt. You don't want a lot of, especially you don't want a lot of short-term debt. Short-term debt is the one that gets companies. Um, you want high retention rates. And we talked about in a previous episode, we did a separate snippet of this, um, the SaaS metrics. You, I know you've talked about this a lot, dollar-based net retention. Basically, how much do customers spend on the platform next year versus this year? Really important because it shows you if it's mission critical. If this is a business that is a reliable business, you know, people pay it rain, hail, or shine, that's okay. Like an example would be maybe don't buy... Um, a, a discretionary company, say a company that sells electronics, maybe buy a company that um, has the software embedded in the, 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 the retailer's um, ecosystem. So they're still paying that software cost every year. Make sure you have aligned management. You want management that is still visionary because I think it was, how was it? I think it was the, I'm going to mistake this, but maybe it was the Blackmore CEO or maybe it was someone else that I was thinking of at the time, basically come out and said, um, Never waste a good crisis. And if you have if you have a CEO that's in a market crash says, I'm not going to waste this crisis, you know that they have the right temperament to be a long-term capital allocator because they're the ones thinking, hey, there's bargains everywhere. Let's go out there and do some shopping. We've got the balance sheet for it. And the final thing is um, look at that income statement and just have a look at it. Is it a high quality business? Meaning does it have good gross profit margins? Is revenue growing consistently? Um, are the costs under control? These are just some of the things you can do. When I had Andrew Page on for a chat during coronavirus, he basically said, there's two questions I'm going to ask. Is it, does it have a rock solid balance sheet, meaning cash on the balance sheet? And do I think it can survive two years um, you know, at this cash rate, cash burn rate? And that's, that was his criteria. And I think that's a kind of simple yet eloquent um, checklist. So I think, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, a way to do it. It's just have that checklist, have the spreadsheet. Um, I think it's a great idea. We've got a watch list. You've got a watch list. I think it's a great way to do it. And just in case we're at risk of leaving people on a sour note today, does long-term investing work, mate? Oh, long-term investing works. You know, I was going to double down actually on one point that you made, which I think is okay. really, really important. But you, <clears throat> you said, you know, you basically get caught, if people get caught up trying to make all their decisions right, then they don't take any decisions, right? So you just have to hmm. allow for the fact that get some of them wrong. And that's okay. And you, you also alluded to the fact, you know, start small, for example, add over time. I think those are things that I think really work in your favor. So mm. I think that's, that's really, in terms of long-term compounding working, it absolutely works. What I'd like to say is that it seems like it's not working for the first few years. Mm. Uh, you know, the first five years kind of is like hard work. Um, then you start seeing some results, you know, from year five to like year 10. Um, year 10 onwards, it could actually be just like, you know, it's almost like an autopilot <laughs> because, you know, you've built, you've, you've, you know, I, I tell people, save furiously if you can. And, you know, and it's just a saving is a habit because you need to save to invest, then invest furiously over time. Let's keep doing it. And, you know, and the cycle can be very, very powerful, right? A couple of percentage ahead of the market. If you do, if you do 10%, 11%, 12%, if you're doing 15%, you're, com you're doubling every five years, right? If you're doing 20%, you're doubling every three and a half years. And if you do 15% actually is like in over a period of 30, 40 years, it's like, it's phenomenal. It's life-changing. It's massive. So, Absolutely, it is. I think that's it. Even that first five years is just getting that shovel. It's not so much about necessarily what you buy in the first five years if you're on this journey. It's about just getting the money 
putting it to work and then letting that time do the heavy lifting and basically save hard, save early is that the kind of the, the mantra there, just save hard, save early. Uh, if you're in a relationship and you're saving together, then make sure your partner understands the power of compounding as well. Um, and I, I think if you, if you put that down in a spreadsheet, you create your watch list, you use a checklist, you control your emotions, you can really take advantage of market crashes. Um, you know, that's the power of a watch list. It doesn't stop, you know, we don't have to wait for the next market crash. I think people that say that, the people that say, oh, I'm going to wait for the next market crash are the same people that in the market crash say, oh, it's too scary to invest now. I'm going to wait until things look a bit better. And that just doesn't work. I've never met anyone that says, oh, I'm going to wait for the next market crash and then actually puts their money. And I don't think I've ever met someone that does that. Um, yeah. you, know? you can't time the market, right? And the other problem is that, you know, the market might say, you know, the market that says in $1 as an index then goes to $100 and then maybe drops to 90. <laughs> you miss between the one and 100 and then you, you know, got in at 90, right? So yeah. it, that's the problem. You really don't know what the top is. You really don't know where the bottom is. Yeah, that's, what it, that's it. So just disciplined um, saving and investing. Let, let time do the heavy lifting. Find great companies and add to them. It's as simple as that. Find find the two or three good metrics that you want to follow that are relevant to the company. Like you said before, the the size of the market, total addressable market, TAM, relative to the size of the company today and its revenue stream. And I think that's just a really good yardstick for a lot of these high growth businesses. So, Matt, this is a good little punchy episode on how to behave in a market crash. I know you're on Twitter at 7A Mahanti. I'm at Owen Rask. Uh, you can head to rask.com.au to find out more about what I'm doing. And you can head to 7investing. That's 7investing.com forward slash subscribe. Use the coupon code HOLIDAY and get an annual subscription and you'll get $100 off, not just for 2022, but for 2023 and for 2024, as long as you stay a member. So Mate, this is a a great little episode. We'll be back with more uh, talking about some thematics and companies to watch in the next episode. So as always, mate, it's a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me.